What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me as always is Joe Healy, and we will be joined a little bit later on by Long Beach State coach Eric Valenzuela. Very excited to talk uh, with coach about the dirtbags and his first year on the job there at Long Beach um, here on the Baseball America College podcast presented by Rapsoda. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database. Hey, Joe. We are, uh, we are into October now, uh, and that means playoff baseball, among other things. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I, we, we, it's hard to believe we're in October. I, I say that every month now uh, during the, this uh, off-season that won't end, but you know, October I really did sneak up on me. The MLB playoffs really snuck up on me. I mean, obviously those started in September, and I think that was a little bit part of that last week. Uh, but it's uh, it's hard to believe we're in October, and for the programs that are playing fall baseball this year, like they're they're moving along pretty well in, into the fall at this point. A lot of them are, you know, kind of approaching uh, completion or at, at least well into it. Um, obviously, in some of the absolute best weather, they're they're just going to get going here a bit. But it's uh, it's been interesting to to watch how everything's played out as we've reached October here. It is a little bit of an advantage, you know, spoiler alert for our, you know, interview with uh, Coach Valenzuela, or, you know, we don't mention fall practice there with him, and that's because they, they haven't really gotten a chance to, to, to get going yet. But, you know, you think about, oh, the clock is really ticking, but, you know, Southern California, <laughs> they've got a little bit of time. It it's really just comes down to how soon they're able to get out there. There, there are a few places that are a little bit uh, that have that going for them. Southern California is one. Another one, of course, is, is South Florida. And I always know that because Miami typically starts their fall practice very, very late. I remember talking to Gino Damari last fall on this podcast, I think, and we were well into October and they had just started or had, had maybe uh, were getting ready to start one of the two. So they, time is on their side. It's just in a lot of places, it's just a matter of will they be able to get out there at at some point so but yes I'm with you it it is surprising that we are into October and I I was thinking about this the other day just the degree to which things that happened non non non-college baseball things because I think we we all live so close to college baseball that it's it's hard for us to really have a warped sense of time when it comes to that kind of thing 
However, with non-college baseball things, somebody was referencing Tiger King on Netflix, which is a show I, I did not watch, but many, many people did back in March and April. And it seems like that was both yesterday and also two years ago somehow. So that the pandemic has created this weird warping effect of time where time both expands and contracts. And that's how we end up with the, hey, look, October is here. So, um, but it has been nice to get the, the places that can get out there and play some fall baseball. That has been nice. Uh, the, the teams out here locally where we are, are mostly underway here as far as I know. And there's a little bit different rules about, you know, whether or not folks like us can, can show up and take it in and, and versus not. But uh, the place I have been able to go, it's been nice. Like we, we've talked a lot about searching for normalcy and, and getting out there in the fall a little bit with a little bit of chill in the air and in the sunny days has been, has been a nice little piece of normalcy and has me even more excited for the coming season in 2021. Absolutely. Um, well, since we pressed stop on um, last week's episode, we had a bit of college baseball news last week. Uh, LaSalle uh, came out with an announcement that they're cutting seven sports, including the baseball program following this academic year so the explorers will play this spring uh, but after that the program is to be disbanded that you know brings the total program cut count uh, so far in 2020 up to four they joined Furman Chicago State uh, Bowling Green was cut but later uh, you know that that decision was was reversed and now um you know also uh LaSalle joins that list and unfortunate to to see any any program go away uh, of course but uh you know, this one a part of a much larger cut in the uh in the athletic department in, in some of these other places it you know Chicago State only cut baseball Furman, I think it was only cutting two sports, uh, but LaSalle get, gets caught up in a much larger athletic department re restructuring. And we've seen that at some other places. Stanford did it. Brown did it. Um, you know, so George Washington did it. Uh, these were places that sponsored a very high number of sports. LaSalle is at 25 right now. They'll go down to 18, which is uh, much closer to the average uh, if you look around the country and especially at schools in the Atlantic 10, uh, where Sal plays, that's, that's right, at, right around average now. Um, and it seemed like they weren't saying it was a result so much of, 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 of cost cutting as much as it was LaSalle is no longer thrilled with the idea of being a school that sponsors 25 sports that aren't, as competitive as they would like to be, and they would prefer to be a school that sponsors 18 uh, more competitive sports. Not not great, no matter how you slice it for the baseball program. Uh, you know, as as you know, the the players will now all have to find new homes if they want to continue playing. Uh, but it is uh, you know, it, it just feels a little bit different, I guess. If if that's the rationale, at least from the outside, than hearing. Uh, you know, from a just from a monetary standpoint, they can't figure out how to make it work. Uh, but the end result, of course, is the same, and, and it's not great news uh, for college baseball. Is now LaSalle, Boise State, Chicago State, and Furman. Um, you know, after this season, will will no longer have programs. 
I think you're right that it, it definitely did seem like a philosophy shift within the LaSalle athletic department versus anything, you know, um, versus just, you know, a strictly cost. Well, a cost is, is obviously part of it, but, um, you know, I think there's a, there's a difference between the types of schools that typically have, you know, numbers of sports in the high twenties versus the, 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 the schools that have sports in the teens. That's not to say you can't succeed in a lot of different sports with a high number. Stanford famously did that for a long, long time. But there tends to be a little bit of a difference in those schools that have those high numbers. It's schools that are like Ivy League schools, uh, private academic institutions, of which LaSalle is one. But, uh, you know, along the eastern seaboard, you know, schools like that. And what you see in a lot of those cases are those schools are big on athletics as just part of, um, you know, total student enrichment. And it's just, a, you know, they offer all those sports as because they, they just want those sports to be part of the campus community and they, they want the most vibrant you know, on-campus, you know, student life uh, experience they can provide and athletics are a part of that. Whereas the schools that typically are real serious about being very successful at a small number or slightly larger number of, of sports tend to not be the schools that have these huge, huge athletic departments from a philosophy standpoint. Again, Stanford bucks that trends. I'm sure there are plenty of others that are very successful in specific sports and sponsor 20 some odd uh, um, different sports. But this did feel like a shift in, in philosophy there. And there, uh, you know, LaSalle has, you know, from, from a baseball standpoint, LaSalle has struggled. It's just a program that has not really been altogether relevant for the most part, even with, with schools like Bowling Green, you could point to a couple of famous big leaguers who, who kind of um, made the, made uh, their names originally at Bowling Green before moving on to pro baseball. You can't necessarily, there are some players, Tom Filer, um, who have come through LaSalle to become pro baseball players, but it's, it's certainly not a program that was churning out a lot of pro talent. That said, there are a couple guys on the team and, you know, uh, understanding of course that LaSalle was not going to be a challenger predicted to be a challenger in, in the A-10 and, and still likely will not be in, in 2021 and hasn't been. They've got a couple players. Tatum Levins is a catcher who's put up big numbers there. Who's well thought of. And he's the type of guy, if he doesn't get drafted, he is a junior this is his third year of eligibility, I should say. I guess he'd be a, a third-year sophomore, to use the 2021 parlance, but really productive catcher, really highly thought of. He's the type of guy that if he does not get drafted in a place that, that he sees fit to sign, uh, you know, he's the type of guy that I think there could be a lot of competition over in the transfer portal because uh, he's really, really talented guy, and catchers who can mash are in uh, short order, and he, he looks the part physically. So, you know, that, that's a guy to watch. They also have a, a nice lefty named Colin Scanlon, who is – you know, is a senior, so maybe he just kind of moves on or maybe he goes into pro ball kind of regardless because he's been on campus a little bit longer than Levin's. But there are a couple of players there that, you know, if you're a, you know, if you're a fan of some other program in the region, uh, might provide an opportunity for, uh, you know, your, your roster to get an influx of talent with those guys if they choose to return to college baseball after the program uh, ends up going by the wayside after the 21 season. Yeah, that'll uh, certainly be something to track. Uh, I believe those players can get eligibility for the spring if they were to transfer immediately. Uh, this is a little bit of an unusual time to be cutting a program, but again, LaSalle is cutting far more than baseball here. So kind of in these larger restructurings, the fall is kind of a more traditional time to, to make a, a bigger cut like that. Um, usually we'd see it in the spring, but you know, again, it's, it, it's, a, it's an unusual year. And, and if you're making a 
you know, these department-wide changes, those kinds of things tend to come down the pipe just whenever they come down the pipe. Um, so that's something to, to track, uh, both in terms of transfer portal, in terms of LaSalle, um, and, and just in terms of the, the 2020 year, the, the effects this year is having on college athletics and specifically the, the baseball programs. I believe now with this fourth program getting cut, um, like we'll, as a sport, it will be neutral after this season. Uh, they, we added some new teams coming up from Division Two this year, and now with four programs going out, or maybe this makes it negative one. I guess this will make it negative one, but then St. Thomas has already declared its intention to reclassify from Division Three. So overall, still uh, still going to be be neutral. Uh, we'll we'll see what continues to transpire in in this kind of space uh, as uh, colleges continue to to grapple with some of the the financial realities uh, that the, the the pandemic has has wrought. Um, so yeah, that if you if you're interested in finding out more, there's a little bit more on on the website, but just something to uh, to track here in the A10 as this will be LaSalle's final season. Uh, with baseball program. All right, let's uh, let's shift gears. Let's get to Long Beach State coach Eric Valenzuela. The Dirtbags were one of 2020's great stories. Before the season was cut short, they started the year with uh, some really loud series wins against uh, Wake Forest, Cal, and Mississippi State. Uh, you know, it, just a, a really impressive start to the season, racing into the top 25 after. Uh, a couple of very disappointing seasons for the Dirtbags. Uh, this was Eric Valenzuela's first season, and, and they were off to a, just a flying start. And so, I mean, we're already excited to see what he could do with the program. Now, you know that that this just ratcheted that up a, a little bit further. I think just seeing what what they were able to accomplish uh, so quickly in 2020. Now, what what they'll be able to do uh, moving forward becomes. You know, even more interesting as as they look to uh, compete with the likes of Fullerton and, and Santa Barbara there at the top of the Big West. So lots to talk about with Eric Valenzuela, and we'll get right into that after a word from my bookie. It's October, and at my bookie, that can only mean one thing: it's winning season. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means free bets, super contests, Survivor, and more. At MyBookie, winning season is all about your chance to win big. Bet NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball, UFC, NFL, and then some. The craziest sports October of your lifetime is here. It's simple. Make your picks, win big, collect your cash. Invest in your intuition. Select from hundreds of future bets, or you can bet games in real time with MyBookie's live betting. Put that big brain of yours to good use. Use promo code BASEBALLAMERICA, it's all one word, BASEBALLAMERICA, and double your first deposit. New players get up to $1,000 in free play, designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Thousands of cross-sport wagers, props, and parlays await. Sign up now to bet with the best and celebrate your victory. Your winning season begins today, only at my bookie. And remember, use the promo code BASEBALLAMERICA to double your first deposit. 
Today on the Baseball America College podcast, we are very happy to be joined by Long Beach State coach Eric Valenzuela, the Dirtbags, coming off of an impressive shortened 2020 season, uh, one of the surprise teams in the country off to a, a sensational start before that season got canceled in Coach Valenzuela's first year. Uh, coach, let's just start there with the, the way 2020 uh, was going for you guys. You know, did you... Uh, what what was it? What was clicking for the dirtbags? Yeah, no. Hey, thank you guys for having me. I'm pumped to be here. Um, yeah, you know what? <laughs> Obviously, a, a lot of emotion is is uh, going into this 2020 season. I mean, it's our first, you know, coming from St. Mary's College, uh, which was awesome, a great experience for my staff and I to come into this program with so much history, tradition. You know, so many great players, great teams, great coaches. Um, you know, there's a there's a there's an expectation, you know, that surrounds this uh, program for sure and the history of it. So, uh, coming in, you know, I know that the past couple of years before had been had been tough. Um, you know, we were coming in to, you know, to to share, you know, uh, what we do and and um, and how we do it, and and it, it, it was great. I mean. The fan support was unbelievable. Um, you know, when we got here, the players uh, took us in. They were great. Um, and it was just, you know, it, it was a good start. Um, I mean, we had a long ways to go. Uh, we started the uh, season off with playing an unbelievable schedule. And, um, you know, it was just a, it was a glimpse into to hopefully what the, you know, the expectation and the demands are of this program. And so, you know, it ended. It was short. Um, but I think... Uh, in that short amount of time, there was definitely a standard that was set from our older guys um, to our younger guys and beyond that with this new recruiting class that's in. Coming into the season, you know, in, in preseason practices in January and February, did you get the sense uh, that those guys were, were ready to go from the get-go, that this might be something special? Or did that just kind of build over time as, as the games began? I think the, what's good, you know, about – you know, change is, is never easy, right? When there's a new coaching staff uh, coming in, you know, you think about the players and you think about, you know, um, them mentally, you know, so it's never easy. But I think what what was best for it is some of these guys kind of needed a fresh start. Um, and the good thing is we came in, you know, I mean, obviously we did homework on our on our roster and the guys that were coming back. But, I mean, it was a clean slate. It was like, hey, you know, we're all here. You know, none of these – we haven't coached you. You know, you could have been the starting shortstop or you could have been on the bench and never played in it. And you guys are the same. I mean, we're just going to go into this with a blind eye and we're going to work hard and grind it. Um, and really quickly, we found out that, uh, I mean, the previous coaching staff did such a great job of, of recruiting these guys, man. I mean, these guys were very talented, um, you know, physical, fast, you know, very good uh, on the mound. And so, you know, from a, an ability standpoint, um, they did a phenomenal job of that. And we just, you know, we just did our thing. I mean, we felt like, you know, I think what first and foremost had to come in was was them to trust us, you know, that we, know, we understand that during this transition time, it's going to be tough, but, you know, to buy in and, and um, um, we're going to come together and, and just let their talent play. And, and uh, so, you know, I, I felt like definitely wasn't a talent. I felt like, man, we, we're very talented. We just got to put this thing together and, and these guys got to pick up some things really fast. I think you know, when you're in a program and, you know, at St. Mary's, we were there for six years. I mean, once you get past that first or second year, everything kind of rolls right when you're talking about, you know, team defense stuff and signs and you're just your culture. 
you know, it's really easy to just kind of bring in the new freshmen and JC transfers in and just kind of teach them the ropes because everything just kind of flows. But when you're turning, you know, when you come into a new program and you have to start from scratch and put everything in, um, you know, it's difficult. But again, um, it was very exciting for us and, and to do it with such a phenomenal group of, of older guys and, and, um, and very talented, you know, new recruits. It was, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Aside from just the results on the field, I'm curious what you and your staff learned in your first year, either about yourselves as coaches or about what it's going to take to win at a high level at Long Beach that you might not have known necessarily going into the job. Well, you know, I, I always felt like no matter where we are, we, we, we kind of do it in a way where we're coaching these guys from the ground up, meaning, you know, we're assuming that they know nothing, you know, and we really have to focus on developing these guys. I mean, you can have some really talented players, but they don't play the game correctly um, and you don't guide them and, and coach them up. I mean, it doesn't matter how talented you are. And so when we were at St. Mary's and at the previous places that I've been at, I mean, you, you uh, yes, we had very, very talented players at the top, but you know, a lot of guys were, you know, especially at St. Mary's, some guys were overlooked in the recruiting process. Some guys were, you know, we may have been the only program that was recruiting them. So we took a lot of pride in the development of our players and, and, playing good baseball, you know, we had to, um, yes, we had some talented guys. I mean, you're looking at, you know, the, the postseason with Tony Gonsolin and, and Corbin Burns. So we had some really talented players at St. Mary's, but you really had to coach up, you know, the, the second half of guys and make them into really good baseball players and play together as a team. And I felt like, man, if we can just, you know, if we can do, we're going to do the same thing here with just a number of talented players and get them to play the game the right way, play hard, uh, play like dirtbags, you know, um, that's what we were excited about coming in here, just the amount of talent. Um, and obviously the amount of talent that we can get and recruit moving forward has just been, uh, I mean, super exciting. And, and uh, man, I know we're in tough times right now, but I, I can't wait to get back on the field with these guys and, and get it going again. You know, going to Long Beach, the dirtbags, you know, they're just, it's such an iconic baseball brand. Um, you know, especially for anyone in Southern California where you grew up. Um, so what kind of was, what was your experience with Long Beach, you know, when you were growing up around the game? Obviously, you end up at Pepperdine, uh, but, you know, how much did, did that aura or, or that brand, you know, what, what resonated with you about Long Beach and the dirtbags, uh, both of that, that era and then as you you know, continued with your career and got into coaching. And, and then we saw some of the other stars like a, a Tulowitzki or a Longoria come through there. Yeah. I mean, being born and raised in Southern California and, and in the San Gabriel Valley, um, you know, it, it's obviously Long Beach state is just one of those story programs, um, you know, Omaha trips and, and just amount of major leaguers and great, you know, great teams and great coaches that's always a, you know, it's a destination for, for a stud Southern California player. Um, and so when, when, you know, this, this opportunity came up, I mean, you can't be, I mean, there's not a lot of places like it on the West coast that, that has a following. And that's one of the things that we saw, you know, immediately was how much passion, you know, not only the alums and, you know, the previous teams and coaches, but just this whole community, how much passion they have. I mean, Long Beach is like, I mean, it's like a, a state in its own, you know, I mean, it's, it's um, and they have so much for patients when you come in this program and you're coaching it and you're playing here that, you know, that is high. And, and you know, we we're definitely, uh, 
you know, we're definitely up for the challenge uh, for that. Uh, I just, as a young kid, you see this program, um, you know, you, there's a sense of toughness, there's a sense of great ball, fans are playing a beautiful facility. Um, you know, it's a great school. It's a great location. All of those things come into play. And as a coach, I mean, you're, I mean, I'm just blessed to be here and blessed for this opportunity. You mentioned, um, you know, being excited for you to get into, into practice and then the 2021 season coming along. You've got a couple key pieces from last year's team gone now. Adam Simoneris, LJ Jones, we're both getting their opportunities in pro ball now. But what has you most excited to get back in 2021? What are you looking forward to? Well, I think the excitement is, is that, you know, what we were able to do in such a short time, um, you know, our guys felt like, and seriously, we felt like we just, we hadn't even hit our stride yet. I felt like we played good baseball, but we could have played a lot better. I think as a team in whole, pitching wise, offensively, defensively. So um, I think there's a lot of excitement from the older guys or the returners coming in um, that want more of that. Um, and, and then from the young guys, I think just in that short amount of time, those 15 games, I think there was, you know, when you're a young guy, a new guy in this program and you see what happened previous, there's an expectation. Not that there wasn't before, but now you're walking into a place that it's a top 25 program and now it's like, this is the real deal. And so that's what's exciting about it. We have some great, great pieces of, of returners coming back. Um, you know, I feel really good uh, all the way around. Um, I think the, the problem, not, and it's a good problem to have is, um, you know, our roster is big and, um, you know, and, and so it's going to be my job and our job as coaches to manage it correctly um, and to get, uh, get everybody involved and, and keep everybody involved. So that's going to be the challenge. We do have a lot of talented players um, and it's just going to be our job to kind of to manage it right. Blair Field is one of the iconic baseball venues, especially out on the West Coast. It is also you know, one of the bigger pitcher parks in, in the country. Does that factor into the way you want to play or the kinds of players you recruit at all? Is that, is that a consideration at all? Or, or do you just, do you guys kind of just, you know, work with, work with whatever the dimensions you have out there? Well, that's a great question. And, and, you know, we've really, when we got here, we really had to kind of think about how we were going to go about this. I mean, obviously you're, you're recruiting. Um, I mean, a lot of people want to come to school here, especially in the, on the West coast. I mean, it's a great place to go to school, like I said, and play baseball. Um, you know, I think from a pitching standpoint, we've always, I, I, we've always recruited the same type of guy, a guy that's going to fill up the strike zone. I mean, I think that's first and foremost, um, you know, I always, um, you know, it's, it's a guy that can, can, can command the zone, um, way more than any than stuff. I mean, now, obviously we want a guy that can command the zone and have, you know, legit stuff. Um, but that, and that plays everywhere, but especially here, right? I mean, you're pitching in a ballpark that's huge. You know, you can throw 98 miles an hour if you're not throwing strikes and you're walking guys and getting behind guys. I mean, that's not going to help in a big park. So strike throwers are key. You know, from an offensive side of things, you know, I love it because, you know, Coach Brian Peters, I mean, he is, to me, he is the best, you know, offensive coach in the country. And it's a, it's kind of a, um, it's kind of, I'm not going to say gorilla ball, but it is, it is swinging. It is playing for big innings. It's driving balls in the gaps and over the fence. And, you know, when you're out there and you're talking to recruits about Blair Field, you know, you're going to get, you know, other coaches or you're going to get other people talking about, wow, man, it's not an offensive park. And 
I mean, you look at the big leaguers that have been out of here. I mean, those, those a lot of them are offensive guys. If you can hit here, you can hit anywhere. And um, I just, uh, again, from an offensive side of things, I mean, we're looking for guys that are physical, guys that want the challenge of playing in this ballpark. And uh, um, so has it changed? I mean, you know, Coach Peters, uh, you know, likes a certain offensive guy, um, you know, that could do some things, uh, being physical, being fast. And then from a pitching standpoint, you know, and obviously defensive standpoint, me as the head coach, but also doing the pitching 100%. Uh, you know, I really want to be good defensively and pitchers have to throw strikes. I mean, that's the command issue, the, the command part of it is the biggest thing for me. I wanted to ask you a quick question about scheduling. And I guess I'll first say, let's throw out just the, the whole idea that we're not sure exactly what, you know, 2021 is going to look like from a scheduling standpoint. Let's just talk about kind of a typical year. One of the philosophies that you see a lot not just at places like Long Beach but just generally on the west coast is an attitude of playing a difficult schedule and, and trying to, to challenge your team out of conference I'm curious what your philosophy just generally is I know at St. Mary's you've had good schedules last year obviously tough schedule with a series against Mississippi State and non-conference but uh, what are you and your staff looking to do with your schedule every year? Well I think it changes from year to year um, you know we're, we're gonna we definitely want to play just like everybody else I think we want to play the best of the best. I think, you know, we had challenges at St. Mary's just because, you know, obviously if we wanted to play, you know, the power five schools or whatever, we most of the time, almost hundred percent of the time we had to get on the road and do that. And that was fine, but you know, those are tough environments to play in. Um, and we enjoyed it, um, but you got to be smart as well. I mean, you got to make sure that you understand what team you have. If it's a young team, if it's a, uh, um, if it's an older team, I mean, you got to be strategic about it. Obviously you're, you're scheduling for the RPI, you're scheduling for, um, you know, I mean, all of these things. And, and, and so I look at it from year to year and kind of just see how we're set up, not to say that we're not going to challenge ourselves when we're young and, and whatever, but, but just to be strategic, um, you know, as well as, uh, you know, really challenging on the West coast with the RPI thing and kind of seeing, you know, I mean, common opponents and all of these type of factors that come into play, it's challenging. And, but this place, you know, I mean, we're, we're expected to have an, an unbelievable schedule. I mean, SCC, ACC, Pac-12, big time programs going there, getting them back at Blair. Um, so those, those things will never change. Um, it's just going to be, a, you know, it's just, again, it's just a matter of scheduling smart um, and, um, and challenging our players and, and getting them ready for, you know, obviously the, the unbelievable Big West Conference. And so, again, I, you know, there's definitely, like I said, the expectation is huge. You play the best of the best. This is, I feel, you know, the Big West is a power five baseball conference and that's what's expected. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, to play Wake Forest and Mississippi State, I mean, is, uh, is awesome. You know, Cal and Washington. I mean, it, it's been a lot of fun for sure. You uh, you mentioned St. Mary's where you were previously, and, and while you were there, you had uh, Corbin Burns and Tony Gonsolin. Of course, Burns got hurt and wasn't able to pitch in the playoffs, but those guys both played big parts on, on playoff teams. Burns is probably going to factor in the NL Cy Young Award debate, um, and, and Gonsolin uh, is, is up there in the Rookie of the Year debate. Just what was it like watching those two guys uh, this year have the success they had on the biggest stage? I mean, it is, it, it is so fun. I'm so proud of those guys. I text those guys all the time. And I mean, it brings tears to my eyes just to, to really see how far those guys have come along. I mean, I remember them 
you know, early in their college career and, and how many, you know, obstacles um, that they had to overcome and we all had to overcome. I mean, those guys, and I say this to them and, and I say this to those other guys that were there during those times. I mean, those guys put St. Mary's baseball on the map. Um, they really did. And um, I can't thank those guys enough for, for um, you know, all their, uh, you know, everything that they've done and, and, you know, not only coaching them, but the friendship that we have, you know, beyond that as well. And, um, hey, I, I, again, it was so much fun watching them pitch all year long. It's so much fun to communicate with them even to this, you know, to this day and during playoffs and stuff. So, again, I'm a proud coach. Um, I feel like, you know, these guys are my sons, you know, and, and um, um, because it's not just about the baseball part of it. I mean, we've been, been through a lot, um, you know, from um, – from a different kind of role as well, being in the classroom and off the field and those type of things. And so just to see them grow up as men and just uh, be able to pitch at the highest level um, that we all, you know, that all these guys dream about being, it's, it's, uh, it's been so, so great. Gonsolin's kind of an interesting case, right? I mean, he comes to you and, you know, at least especially early on is, is more of a contributor uh, as a hitter than he is on the mound. And, and he continued to be an effective two-way guy, but that the pitching piece later in his career really started to take off. And I imagine has to be a particular point of pride of, of yours to see the way he's kind of developed. And now, uh, you know, I don't know if, if you thought he had this in him to become what, what he has become, but I'm certainly, it seems like he's come a long way from, from being the guy that was a little more hitter than pitcher when he arrived at St. Mary's. Well, they both had different paths. That's for sure. I mean, when we got here, you know, Corbin, you know, an undrafted uh, low scholarship, you know, type of player from Bakersfield, we had a big arm, but it was really raw. Um, and it just, you know, it took time for him. I mean, I think he had like almost a seven ERA as a freshman. Um, you know, we sent him out to the Hamptons after his freshman year in the summer, he comes back, he's confident. Um, he has a good sophomore year and then goes to the Cape. He goes to the Cape because we were, we had a kid named uh, Cam Neff, Cameron Neff, who was supposed to go to the Cape in Orleans. Um, but he had pitched a lot of innings and we shut him down and they, Gladly, they took Corbin instead, um, and he goes out there and, and he deals, and then obviously, the you know, here he is. Tony was a different path. We came in, and I mean, he hadn't even, we didn't even know he pitched. I mean, he was an outfielder, and we were really thin the first year we got here, or get got to St. Mary's, really thin on the mound, and he had said, you know, he pitched in high school. We put him on the mound, and he had electric stuff. It was just raw. It was an outfielder that was pitching, you know, but I think that helped him as well because I, you know, I believe that these two-way guys sometimes, I mean, when pitching is like a, like their fun portion of baseball, they just, they go out there with no pressure and they have fun and they, and they, um, you know, they, they pitch with a different mentality, you know? And so till the last day, I mean, till draft day for Tony, um, I mean, he was convinced that he was going to get drafted as an outfielder. And I was telling him, man, your stuff is really good on the mound. I, I'm, I'm saying that you're going to be a pitcher. And he's saying, coach, no, I, I'm, I'm a major league outfielder. I said, okay, the Dodgers draft him. And sure enough, as a pitcher, and I mean, uh, now look at him, you know, and he also can hit too. I mean, I'm hoping that they don't change that DH rule for, uh, for everybody because he can really hit as well. I mean, I'm sure you, uh, he's. I'm sure he's excited about that too. If there's one thing I know about pitchers, who they all they all think they can hit, and he might he's he is one who can actually hit. But even if they can, all pitchers think they can. Well, let's not forget the the first game of our of our 2016 regional. We were at the North Carolina State Regional, and we faced first game. We faced Coastal Carolina, who ended up winning the World Series that year. Corbin's on the mound, and the first run of the game in the first inning with two outs, the three hole hitter up is Tony Gonsolin. He hits a home run. 
we go up one nothing against Coastal. So that's a pretty uh, pretty crazy story. You know, we ended up losing that game. It was a war. It was a great game. Um, we lose that game, and then uh, obviously Coastal has has that uh, unbelievable run to win the College World Series. You know, growing up where where you grew up, I, I'm sure you were a Dodgers fan. Does that make that you know any more special now that you can see what he can do for the the hometown team of yours? Absolutely. I mean, I have to. I have to be good though, because remember the Angels were at where the Long Blair Field was <laughs> yes, the alternate yes. site, you know. So we've built a really good relationship with the Angels and their whole their whole organization. But yeah, I mean, growing up as a Dodger fan. Um, but you know what? I mean, all these coaches would say the same thing. I mean, whatever if you coach these guys in college and and uh, you have relationships, you're I'm a Brewer fan. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm a I'm a Seattle Mariner fan with Ty France. You know, who was able to uh, I'm a Padre fan with Greg Allen, you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, they're like your sons. I mean, if, and that's, that's how we've always had relationships with our players like that. And, and, and so, yes, but I mean, Dodgers are, are, I mean, born and raised Dodger fan and to have Tony wear that Dodgers logo across his chest is pretty cool. You, uh, your dad is a boxing coach there in the area as well. And, and so, I'm I'm curious what what are the crossovers between boxing and baseball? Are are you able to you know given your background are you able to draw on anything from boxing? A hundred percent. I think uh, you know I always I, I mention him a lot because uh, he's a coach and he's done it forever. Um, it's a different type of coaching that he does. I mean he's saving lives. I mean he's getting kids off the street that that uh, he's he's taking them away from you know prison and and you know, even, even worse than that. And so, um, you know, I, I use a lot of, of his teachings and his mentality to our players. I always have. Um, and I just think it brings a, a different type of toughness. I think it's, it's at times what separates us from others. And, and that's what we're always trying to look for. I think as coaches is what, how are we going to be different than anywhere? How are we going to be different than Fullerton? How are we going to be different than USC, UCLA? I mean, and so that's what I think as coaches, what you're always trying to, trying to do. And I think this is where we're different. I think we've, you know, with this mentality that we have, um, you know, this boxing kind of Tyson mentality, as we call it, I think it's different, you know, than anybody else. And I think where they kind of gel a little bit is, you know, I explained to my guys that, um, you know, it's the preparation of it. You know, I talk about baseball and being prepared. Um, we have to prepare like boxers. I mean, when it's all said and done, you can, if you're not prepared in boxing, I mean, you can, it causes a lot of, it can cause pain. It can cause physical pain if you're not prepared. Um, when it comes to baseball, we have to have that same mentality, you know, from an individual standpoint and as a team. Um, and just the fact that, you know, I've been able to take my team to my dad's gym and, and uh, work out and, and uh, go through some team bonding stuff like that has been uh, has been awesome, and I think they they love it. I mean, they love it. Um, they're they're all about it. We talk a lot about, um, you know, I show them clips about you know uh, boxing clips about comebacks and about you know just that mentality and their body language and how they train and um, all of those things come into play. And I feel like that's our difference. I feel like that. That's if that's expected, you know, from your team and it's expected, and it's coming out of your coach's mouth over and over again, that is definitely going to translate to the baseball field. We are going to be tough. We are going to play hard. We're going to play with a little chip on our shoulder and we're going to be mean. And, and um, I think that's mentality. And that's the mentality that is bred when you're a dirtbag as well, you know, and I think that's that's where um, it's a good fit. You know, I feel like, you know, the, the history and tradition of this program is built on that. And we want to help take it to the next level. I mean, that's that's uh, 
um, that's what we're here to do. And, and again, uh, yes, I, I, I love the man. He's, he's, a he's a mean old man, but he's, uh, you know, he, he, again, he's, he's my mentor, he's my everything. And, uh, um, it's been, uh, yeah, it's, it, he's really helped me become the coach that I am for sure. You know, I'll make a little bit of an assumption here that with your dad being a boxing coach, you've seen, um, you know, you, you, you've seen a, a boxing match or two in your life. Now I'll put you on the spot a little bit. And, and ask for a little bit of a comp. You know, there's the, the dirtbag style of, of baseball, and that, that obviously is a, is a very um, a famous brand like we talked about earlier. Is there someone in the, you know, famous or otherwise, someone in the world of boxing that you recall watching that you think is, is a dirtbag in that same way, however you define that in the, in the boxing area? I'd be curious if, if there's a boxer out there that you think could step on the baseball field and, and bring that type of mentality, um, but just in the ring. Well, I think um, yeah, that's an awesome question. I mean, my favorite boxer of all time is Marvelous Marvin Hagler. And even to the point where my I have a boxer dog who's 18 months and his name is Hagler. Um, but, um, I mean, I show him a lot of clips. You know, I show him Diego Corrales, who's a, who's a boxer. He actually passed away in a motorcycle accident. But you talk about a warrior. You talk about a guy who – I mean, there's a clip of, of – if I mean, if you go on YouTube and you watch – the 10th round of Diego Corrales and, um, and um, uh, Castillo, um, Jose Luis Castillo, there's a 10th round where he gets, uh, where Diego Corrales gets knocked down twice and he's out. Um, and then, and then he, he lands a left hook and buckles him and then comes in and ends up stopping him with, with about 30 seconds left. And I mean, I show that clip every single year to my, to my, uh, to my guys, just about just never quit, never give up, um, keep punching. Um, that is, that's my favorite clip of in, on YouTube um, is that one for sure. But I mean, we have things like we call it Tyson mentality. I don't know if you've seen our, the back of our helmets, but I give these guys, you know, I mean, you look at Ohio state football and Michigan, they have all those stickers on their helmets. We give out stickers that have a, Mike Tyson face on it with a tattoo with his tattoo face on there. And that is our stickers that we call Tyson mentality. So, you know, coach Peters, we have all these different, you know, offensive categories that, you know, two out RBI hit, you know, all these different kind of categories that we have that you earn these stickers and you put them on your helmet. And, and it's a picture of Mike Tyson. It's not like a, you know, it's not a, 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 a you know, a symbol of the college, you know, that other programs have, it's Mike Tyson face. Um, so again, you know, I, I don't know. It's just something that, that, that we do. It's something that we enjoy. It's something that the boys love and, and that makes them feel a little bit different than others. How far did you take boxing? Was there ever a time where you thought you were going to do that and not baseball? I did. And to this day, it's my favorite sport. I mean, I hate to say that being the baseball coach, but you know, as a young guy, always being at the gym with my dad and, and um, even to this day, my sons, you know, we have a we have a, a slight gym in our garage, you know, that I work out my boys. Uh, I have twins that are 10 years old and we work out all the time that it's my love. I mean, it's just like anything. I'm a baseball coach and my, you know, my twin boys, they love baseball. Right. I mean, their their dad is a coach and they uh, come with me to the field and, you know, I'm, um, you know, I help them. We work out all the time. So it's the same thing. I mean, I was at the gym since I could, when I was a baby, you know, being around my dad and, you know, he, he was so good at his job. I mean, even to this day, he's had world champions. He was, you know, an assistant, uh, you know, in the 84 Olympics, um, you know, and, and um, so, you know, he's done the amateur thing. He's had amateurs, he's had pros, um, you know, and just being able to, to be there and train and, and be with him. I mean, 
he wanted something different for me. You know, I, I think in his eyes, you know, boxing was, was, uh, you know, it was kids that were, he was saving, getting off the streets and, and having them, you know, teaching them discipline and teaching them, uh, you know, responsibility with me. I mean, his ultimate goal was, was, you know, for me to go to college, you know, and, and there was no baseball in my background at all. And, and just happened to, you know, I mean, at some point be a pretty good baseball player, but boxing was, I mean, that was always my love, man. That was, that was it. And even to this day, um, it is, it's my love and, and I love it. And it just, it, that's my hobby, you know, golf for people, um, you know, different hobbies, me, it's, it's boxing for sure. We'll wrap up here with uh, what, what Teddy has described as the most important question we've been asking all of our guests, probably the last five or six we've had on. So we'll, we'll pose it to you. Uh, describe to us your favorite sandwich. Ooh. Pastrami sandwich from the hat is my favorite. You ever heard of the hat? No, I haven't actually. Is yeah, that, is that the out hat. there? I, I, yeah, Southern California. I don't know if it goes beyond Southern California or maybe the state of California in whole, but it's called the hat. So next time you're at, uh, at Blair Field watching the dirtbags, we're going to get you a pastrami sandwich from the hat. That sounds like a plan. I'm, I'm, I'm down for, I like, I like sandwiches that are kind of in that, um, that Italian mold, you know, with things like pastrami and, and salami yeah. and, and things like that. It's, it's a little it's heavier not, sandwich, but it's, it's not, it's I was just going to say that it's not healthy one bit, but it, is, <laughs> but, it, but, it, but it is very, I mean, you think sandwich, you're thinking like tuna healthy, you know, no, no, no. Pastrami sandwich. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're, you won't be hungry for a month. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be well worth it though. In the end. For sure. <laughs> Like, like Joe said, that is, uh, that's as important as we get here. You know, we, we talk a lot about baseball, but when it, when it comes right down to it, the, the sandwiches, that, that's what we really want to hear about. Uh, that's awesome, guys. Well, Coach, we really appreciate you taking the time today. Um, you know, we're excited to see what the dirtbags look like in 2021. It was uh, such a great start to 2020. I wish we could have seen it finish, but we'll be excited to, uh, to follow along next spring when you guys are, are back out on the diamond. For sure. Yep. And I know it's been a challenge for everybody. And, and, you know, I mean, some schools are starting and some schools aren't. And, you know, it's going to be a challenging 2021. But like I told my players, I mean, it's it's uh, this is great. And let's make it a great story in the end. You know, let's let's uh, you know, we haven't been able to do anything, you know, on the field. And we may not be able to do anything on the field till January and when other teams are. And let's just make it a great story. Let's you know, let's think back to the time when we weren't doing anything and others were. and We're going to find a way to be successful and win. So. We're excited, and I appreciate you guys having me. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much uh, for taking the time. Thanks, guys. Thanks again to Long Beach State coach Eric Valenzuela for joining us here on the Baseball America College podcast. Uh, Joe, really interesting stuff all around. Um, there are a lot, a lot of directions we could go in. There's Long Beach State stuff. There's the, the, the pro ball stuff. There's the boxing stuff. Um, so I'll let you uh, take it where, where you want to take it as, uh, uh, you know, from what Erica said during that interview. Yeah, I think it certainly hammers home the fact that, uh, you know, if, if you're, uh, you know, if, if you're someone out there, if you're, a, you know, maybe an umpire, like in some sort of argument, if you're a player who's feeling <laughs> himself, like you don't want to step to Eric Valenzuela, man. He, guy has a boxing gym in his house. He grew up in a boxing family. Um, you know, that, that, that's not a guy you want to step to because, uh, you know, his hands are going to be quicker than yours. That's just the way that works. His hands are going to be quicker. But uh, I joke, of course, because, he, you know, he's, uh, you know, I say this, I mean this sincerely, one of the, one of the nicest guys in the game, um, one of the most fun guys to talk to, 
Um, always enjoy chatting with him. He's just got a got a good attitude and he has a good sense of humor and, and really is, is willing to, uh, you know, kind of go, you know, we're, we're a podcast that kind of veers from side to side on topics sometimes. And, you know, he's the type of guy who's really willing to, to go with that. So it was cool to, to do that with him. I, I'm excited about what we saw with Long Beach in 2020. Um, you know, I'm excited, obviously, to see it again in 2021, potentially. But I think just generally, I'm really excited about the idea of Long Beach, uh, you know, getting back to a place where it's been in the past. We've, we've seen little windows of it. You know, obviously, there was 2017, where they were just one win away from getting back to Omaha and, and talk about things that seem like so long ago when you consider so much has happened in the Long Beach program since then. But wasn't that wasn't that long ago but that was just a little window but getting back to a place where Long Beach is a consistent contender in the Big West and nationally year after year I think would be it's a little bit of an overused phrase like you know college baseball or inter whatever sport here is better when x team is is good and I think sometimes that gets overplayed but for me personally I think college baseball is better when Long Beach State is good and I think part of that is it gives Fullerton a foil in the Big West which I think is good for Fullerton to have a foil in the Big West I also think it makes the West coast a little more competitive and puts some good teams outside of just the PAC 12 plus Fullerton. So I think there's that as well. And, and look, I mean, you talked about it a little bit with them. You asked him the question about the iconic long beach brand. And we've talked about this before on the podcast, but it, it really is just on the, you know, on the short list of just the coolest college baseball brands. I, I did not grow up in Southern California. I grew up halfway across the country and I had friends who, you know, my friend group was pretty into college baseball. That's how I started with this. And yes, there were a lot of UT hats and A&M hats. And at that time in particular, a lot of rice hats, but beyond that, there might've been more long beach hats than anything else. You know, it was just a cool hat to have the, the LB, the interlocking LB is just an iconic symbol in college baseball. And so there's just something about long beach being good. That's for me, more exciting about college baseball. And it's just, it's just cool to have Long Beach be good. And some of that is nostalgia, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that for me personally. But, um, but I do believe that it is better for the West Coast and college baseball in general if we have Long Beach really humming and clicking on all cylinders. And at least with what we saw in 2020, it seems like maybe it's, it's heading that way under Valenzuela. Yeah, I don't think there's any need to, to downplay that. In this case, I think it's dead on. College baseball is better with a good Long Beach. And if you want evidence of that, just look at the 2017 Super Regional that they hosted against Fullerton. Now, I mean, obviously, that's a, a huge rivalry. Just their regular season home and aways are really good series. But, you know, they absolutely packed out Blair. I remember the ESPN cameras love showing this guy that like had brought a ladder so that he could like get a better vantage point from uh, somewhere up one of the, the baselines. Like that looked like an absolutely great time for a college baseball game. And, you know, so if, if the game can get more weekends like that, you know, obviously that's that's just good for everyone involved. It's you know best for the dirtbags and, and, and their fans, but if you can have that kind of thing going on, I don't care what part of the country it is, you know, that's you want those programs to be as engaged as possible. And then when you you know add in the the history that Long Beach provides, um, when you think about the big leaguers that have come through there 
the fact that they play at, at Blair Field this uh, again the you know one of the iconic college baseball stadiums it, it really becomes uh, a much bigger thing that that program be able to uh, to come out and compete at, at as high a level as they possibly can and you know Joe's went pretty deep into the big west and why the big west isn't hasn't been quite as good the last few years and like what's it going to take for them to to come back and and all the rest of that and ignoring what this might or might not mean for for the big west just it would be great uh to get that kind of excitement around the program on a much more consistent basis than what we've seen it for the last 15 or so years yeah, I don't, so this, what I'm about to say is not to disparage, certainly not to disparage UCLA, because I think you'll find no greater uh, advocate for John Savage and what he has done with that program and just year after year after year after year, losing guys, but just continuing to, to plug guys in. And it, it seems like they really do just, just reload. So they are operating at, on a higher level than any other program uh, on the West Coast, save, I guess, Oregon State. Well, that's like a different discussion because they, they are way up in the Pacific Northwest. But So I don't know exactly what I mean by this, but to me, Long Beach and Fullerton, when those programs are good and when that rivalry is really hot, that's kind of the heart and soul of West Coast baseball to me. And I, again, I don't know what I mean by that, but I feel that and I, I, I believe that. And some of it I think is the there's not a lot of glamour, even though it is Southern California. There's not a lot of glamour there. Blair Field is a historic facility. Um, that does not mean it's the most plush facility. It's kind of the same thing at Goodwin at Fullerton. These are not SEC-level palaces in college baseball. They typically recruit hyper-locally with guys who aren't necessarily the big-name guys out on the West Coast. They're developing guys. They have a specific type of player. I think that all goes into it, but I just – I think that is kind of the heart and soul of West Coast College Baseball, those two programs going at it like they do and both being good and competing to go to Omaha. Yeah, I'm like, I get where you're coming from. Um, I don't know that I would use those exact words, but the, the rivalry that exists out there is a fantastic one. And, you know, to see what, you know, Long Beach State can become under Eric Valenzuela, who took a program at St. Mary's that was, I mean, to say it was an afterthought would be maybe overstating how good it was. Uh, you know, they'd never been to the NCAA tournament and, you know, he made them very much relevant within the West Coast Conference, uh, took them to the NCAA tournament and, you know, produced, you know, some big league stars just in, in a few short years there to, to have that, you know, the, the energy that created that now coming down to Long Beach, I, it has the potential to really, uh, you know, become something special there. And so I'm, I'm very interested to see where that goes. I'm also struck by, you know, what he was saying uh, just about the, the, the time that they had at St. Mary's with the, with some of those guys, I mean, you, you think about what they had there in, in Burns and, and Gonsalin and, and, you know, they, they really had some special teams there that, you know, it, it, it's, it's just remarkable to look up and, and see an NL Cy Young award debate that's going to include Corbin Burns. And it's probably going to be Trevor Bauer's award, but it's, 
you know, look for Corbin Burns to get a lot of votes. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how the NL Rookie of the Year shakes out. That's a very complex award this year. But, you know, Gonsolin's going to be a big part of that. And, you know, he's he's become a, a pretty important piece for the Dodgers. And, you know, it's just interesting to hear. I'm not surprised to hear, but that right up until the very end, you know, he thought he was going to be uh, a big league outfielder. And now he's he's found his home on the map. Yeah, I, I um, yeah, I found that story kind of funny too. It's it's kind of um, you know, it kind of speaks to uh, you know, maybe it it shows that uh, you know, sometimes what a sometimes what a player is best equipped to do at the next level is not necessarily what they what they want to do. And I don't know if that was really the case with him necessarily, but it must sound a little bit like Gonsolin was like, nah, I'd really just like to hit. And um, so for his sake, I don't, you know, for me personally, I'm okay with the DH in both leagues, but for his sake, you know what, I hope he gets to continue to hit because uh, if he wanted to hit that bad in the big leagues, I, I certainly hope he gets that chance. And you know, we are in a little bit of a, a glory age for two-way players, at the big league level. So, you know, maybe, maybe there is an opportunity for him to do a little bit of that, but yeah, cool story. And that those are the types of things that they did at St. Mary's. You're right. I mean, afterthought is 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 probably giving them too much credit before Eric Valenzuela got there. And I think if you're really looking for evidence of what they can build there, um, there are some times where you will get a coaching staff at a small school that that program gets hot very quickly and then they're out. Uh, you know, they're there a couple of years. They have this big success with the first group of players that comes through. And then, you know, they're on to the next job. And I don't begrudge them that. Um, but you just still are left with questions about, okay, how sustainable is what you're doing here? You know, Valenzuela was and his staff at St. Mary's for a good long while. And, you know, once they got good, they, they stayed good. Um, you know, the first year there was tough, but they finished over 500 every other year after that. 30, you know, 28 wins, 33, 37, 31, 35 wins. I mean, those are, those are good teams year after year. So they, they clearly had put something into place that was repeatable year after year. And I think that really does bode well for what they can, what they can do at Long Beach now, because this was not a case of a coaching staff coming in, having success right away, which they did, by the way. But then they didn't really necessarily just strike when the iron was hot and bounced. They stuck around and really built something there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he, uh, he's got a chance to, to make Long Beach State into a, a very good program, um, you know, just – raise it back to the level that I think a lot of people are accustomed to, to the dirtbags being. And it's not going to be an easy climb. There are a lot of reasons why uh, Long Beach State has, has uh, not been able to find some of that consistent success over the last decade. Uh, but th- I think there's a lot of reason to think right now that, that it could. And when you just then think about a potential Big West race of you know, Long Beach State, Santa Barbara, Fullerton, uh, Cal Poly, you know, it, that, that gets pretty exciting about what that, that kind of race could look like if all four of those schools uh, are able to click or even uh, another school joining that group, whether that's a Northridge or Hawaii uh, or whoever, um, you know, that there's, a, there's a lot to like about what that, just the excitement that a Big West race involving those kinds of teams at the top of the standings, what, what that could mean. Yeah, here, here. I'm, I'm certainly here for a uh, competitive top to bottom Big West. And I, I think, um, you know, small samples with some of these guys who haven't been in these coaching positions long, but it, it seems like we're trending in that direction. 
All right. So we mentioned it on the uh, in the interview there, the and, and before that the Major League Baseball playoffs began last week with the wild card round, and as we always do, we went through the the rosters for all the playoff teams and totaled up who which college programs had produced the most players uh, on MLB active playoff rosters. Uh, that's something you only can find at Baseball America. Other places will talk about who has the most players on playoff teams, but that does not actually mean on playoff rosters. It just means like on 40-man rosters. So anyway, if you want to see who's actually playing in the playoffs, you have to, you have to come check out our list. And the answer this year, for the first time in a couple of years, it had been Fullerton the last two years at least. Uh, but this year it is Vanderbilt, and they had seven players active uh, on playoff rosters, and it's a pretty impressive group overall. Um, you know, right now Vanderbilt has, you know, some of the most play. They're close to the the top of the list of just the most big leaguers, so it kind of stands to reason that then they would be uh, at, at the top of this list as well. But you, know, you you start looking at some of the names, and it's like Walker Bueller and Tony Kemp and um, Sonny Gray and it's like really impactful players within Vanderbilt history. And now many of them are having really impactful uh, times in the big leagues, probably none more so than, than Walker Bueller, who is scheduled to be the uh, game one starter uh, for the Dodgers in the, in the division series. Just uh, another impressive moment for, uh, for the Vanderbilt program, I suppose. No doubt about that. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's a list of guys that, strikes me as a, as a group, not, not all, I mean, there are some guys on, on the list for them who, have, who were in the program um, a generation prior, if you will put it that way. But for the most part, it's a group of guys that I kind of think of as the guys who were starting to really come along and come in waves that culminated in Vanderbilt winning a national title in 2014, where you were starting to, you know, they were really, you know, in the immediate aftermath of that, by the way, but they, they had really got to that point in, program has been cooking for a good long while now, but, but it, it really got to a different level when it started to churn through. There was always some first round arm at the front of the rotation that has kind of continued to now where they've got, Oh, perhaps two of them. Um, but the, the guys who were on this list kind of struck me as those types of guys or, or a guy like, you know, Tony Kemp, who was just a spark plug of a player whose numbers don't necessarily um, tell the whole story of what all he brought to that Vanderbilt program. I think Tim Corbin would tell you that. I think his teammates would tell you that. Now he did also win the SEC player of the year, which I had forgotten until you reminded me of that. Um, that I would not have pegged Tony Kemp as an SEC player of the year guy, but um, sure enough, 2013, he was that guy. So um, yeah, it was uh, not a surprise to see Vanderbilt be on top of that list, especially when you start to look at, you know, the, the, the types of guys they have at this, in this position in particular, the pitchers uh, who, who factor prominently um, in that group. And then when we, when we rank them for what came out this, this Monday, those guys are near the top of the list of, the, of ranking the guys who are involved in the division series who are college stars. Yeah, so let's uh, kind of transition to that list. Um, we went through and we had this idea of like, okay, we have we know who the which programs produce the most talent, but who are the most talented individuals? And initially, I think Joe and I kind of set out to include all players from playoff rosters, and then we kind of realized that like oh, the division series start 
on the day we're planning on releasing this list, let's just actually focus on on those players. So thereby we eliminated uh, like three players of the year <laughs> um, from the list, Trevor Bauer among them, Matt Wieters is not a player of the year. I don't have the list up in front of me if you couldn't tell, but you know, those, those two guys, I, I remember, you know, move out of, of the, the list. So we're, we're still left with a, a really sal- solid group uh, topped by Mike Zanino, who won the, the player of the year. Uh, you got guys like Swanson and Bregman and, and George Springer. And, you know, it's, uh, it's an interesting list to look at just when, when you consider the, uh, the amount of talent that is still playing in the in the postseason that that's playing on the biggest stage, having you know big moments on the biggest stage, and you know what they were able to accomplish in college. Just to look back at some of the highlights of that and, and what some of the, these players were able to do. I don't know. Is it? I found it to be an interesting exercise. I know Joe actually did most of the, the hard work in looking up statistics and, and the like, but it uh, you know just just being able to, to read through it is. You know, it, it's it's a trip down memory lane for a lot of these guys, but it's also just a reminder of how good uh, a lot of these players are in college baseball and then continue to be once they uh, reach the big leagues. Yeah, I had, I had fun putting this together for a number of different reasons, and it's really not necessarily for the guys at the top of this list. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah, we remember Mike Zanino was great. Bregman, yep, sure. Swanson, Springer, yep. But it's kind of the surprise. There were two things the surprises of the guys that were higher on this list. And if you had just asked me roughly before I started this exercise, where in the top 25 would you have put this guy? There were a couple that stood out to me. One of whom was Drew Pomeranz who comes in fifth on this list. If you'd have told me based on his college career, he would come in ahead of two Vanderbilt guys and Kyle Wright and Walker Bueller and Garrett Cole in particular. I don't think I would have believed you, but I had really forgotten how good Drew Pomeranz was. I mean, 344 career strikeouts and 267 and a third innings. I mean, that's, that's a pretty absurd strikeout number there. And uh, I did not expect we'd be looking at Drew Pomeranz in the top five, but, but we were. And, you know, another Mississippi guy, Jonathan Holder in the top 10. I talk about dominant closers, my goodness. And he was really kind of that, you know, what, what the major leagues have discovered in the last several years that college teams have known for a long time and that's that a closer doesn't have to be just the ninth inning guy and Holter's kind of a classic example of that where you know he was a multi-inning guy sure he collected a ton of saves but he was really more of a bullpen ace than he was just a strictly a closer and those were two guys in the top 10 that I probably would not have pegged as top 10 guys yeah I uh I would agree definitely on Holder Pomerantz like I don't know where I would have placed him uh just mentally but he is a guy that you know was a a, a top five draft pick so uh, you know you see that and I'm like okay yeah, it has to have been a really good college career uh but then to see exactly how good it was you know that that's um it, it, it is a very very impressive uh career when you look back on it and you're know, making this list also was you know you're asked to you know, compare and contrast some different player types. You know, so Garrett Cole, of course, now one of the best players in the big leagues, was the first overall pick, but, you know, also has some numbers that are, you know, not elite uh, when, when you look at his college career. Um, 
they're still very, very good. And, and he's very deserving of, of being on this list in the top 10. But, uh, you know, you, you think about what Garrett Cole has become, and it's a, kind of easy to forget that, you know, you, you think about what he's become, you consider that he was the Friday starter for UCLA for two years. And that includes a year that they were the national runners up. And, you know, it, it would be easy to think like, oh, well, he was like this just incredible college pitcher, like think Steven Strasburg's junior year for like three years or something. And it wasn't quite like that. He needed some time to to grow into who he's become. And, you know, you, you see some of these other guys, uh, you know, that have have bigger careers over the, the full four years. Or And then you, you look at a guy like Hunter Renfro, um, who – you know, really needed the first two years to develop at Mississippi State before he could have the kind of breakout season that really showed how high his ceiling was. And, um, you know, he continues to show that in the big leagues. But just interesting to, as we kind of compared and, um, you know, tried to line up players like that. You know, I mean, you compare it with a guy like Tony Kemp, who was SEC freshman of the year and then two years later SEC player of the year. But, you know, is an atypical player himself because he didn't hit for power. You know, it's a a speed average kind of player, but uh, the credentials were were very impressive throughout Tony Kemp's uh, college career at at Vanderbilt. A couple of the other things that stood out to me as I put this list together, as I just kind of do the let's remember some guys thing here were, so one was, was Brett Gardner and specific to Brett Gardner, because he's not that anonymous a player. He's been on the Yankees forever, and he's a well-known guy. But Matt Carpenter of the Cardinals gets held up, rightfully so, as kind of this great player development story of he was a, a fifth-year player at TCU, and he was a nice college player, but he was never a superstar. And then he gets into the into pro baseball, and he, he really kind of continually reinvents himself and, and becomes this super productive big leaguer. Well, Brett Gardner is – Somewhat a similar story. He was a four-year guy, not a five-year guy, but he had a slow start to his career at College of Charleston. He kind of started to put it together, and then by the time he was a senior, he hits 447 as a senior at College of Charleston. And so, uh, safe to say, he really figured it out. And that was, by the way, for those who who aren't well-versed in the history of it, that was a really good College of Charleston program back then. I mean, that was a he was gone for this, but in 06, they get to a, a super regional they won something like 48 and 47 games his last two years there. So really good player on a really good team, obviously has turned into a really good big leaguer. There were also, you mentioned Hunter Renfro as having that one big breakout season. Arkansas pitcher Ryan Stanek was kind of the same thing where he was a nice arm his entire career at Arkansas, but he just went nuts his junior year and had like a one, I don't have his page here in front of me, but I think it was a 139 ERA his junior season, which is insane. Um, and it's kind of a weird stat line because the ERA really stands out, but his strikeout rate was good, but not great. And so perhaps a super analytically minded analyst would tell you that maybe he just had a lot of batted ball luck. Um, but I don't know, you know, I don't remember it well enough. I remember him, but I do not remember it well enough to really know whether that was the case or not. We also weren't really thinking of things at the college level back then like that. I mean, we just looked at the ERA and said, yeah, really good, which was, was true, but it would have been interesting to, see that season through today's lens, I guess is what I'm saying. But 139 ERA will play regardless. And the last guy is a guy who I will admit I had never heard of until I started doing this list, and that was Ryan Thompson, um, who 
yeah, pitches for the Rays, plays for Campbell, played for Campbell. Um, and his numbers were really off the charts good. So he had two years there as a reliever. In those two years, he threw, in his first year, 71 and two-thirds innings, all out of the bullpen. His ERA was 088. The next year, he threw 88 innings, once again, all out of the bullpen, and he had an ERA of 133. And I get that, okay, it's Campbell, it's the, it's the Big South, it's not the SEC or, or what have you, but I don't know, man, that, that's a lot of innings to have ERAs that low two years in a row. So his career RA is like hovering around one in a hun- roughly 160 career innings. That was just an absurd stat line for a guy that I really didn't, like I said, I really didn't know, which was a, a kind of a cool little byproduct of doing this list is acquainting myself with some guys who, you know, I had never really uh, taken the time to examine. Campbell is uh, becoming a, um, a very interesting player development place, uh, what they're able to accomplish and, and just, also on-field uh, success, you know, what they're able to accomplish under Greg Goff and what Justin Hare has continued there in Bowie's Creek. Um, you know, it's, they're under the radar now. Uh, maybe the noise they made in, in Greenville a couple years ago helped bring the program a little more notoriety, but they, uh, they're a program to watch. And, you know, the, the, as, as they continue to, to, produce players like that and, and get them into to pro ball and where, where they have success. You know, I, I think you're going to hear more and more about them and, and, and see that program continue to develop. Just an, an interesting program, uh, I would say, to, to watch. Right now, overall, um, at, at the moment, the AL teams have updated their rosters for the division series. The NL teams have not. 148 two- or four-year colleges uh, have, have a, at least one player who's made an active postseason roster. Uh, so pretty wide array of, of the number of schools that have players continuing on in pro ball, which is always, you know, again, something that I, I find very interesting that, that, you know, you can have players from, you know, the S- South Dakota state has had two players here on active rosters in pro ball and, or in, in, in the playoffs and, you know, South Dakota State, you know, is is a not a school that we we spend a whole lot of time talking about uh, when we're just talking about college baseball. But you know, good baseball players come from everywhere, and you know, they the the scouts out there do a great job at finding these players. And you know, player development and pro ball continues to develop them. But you know, it, it starts in college for you know a lot of these guys, and or continues it starts in high school and, and earlier for everyone, but, but college is a key point of development for a lot of these guys. And, uh, you know, I think you see some of that reflected here as, as you watch the playoffs. Um, you know, so hopefully you can you check out the uh, top 25 uh, ahead of the division series as you're, you're watching those games uh, from, from Southern California and Texas this week. All right, so that's going to do it for us today on the Baseball America College podcast. Um, want to encourage you to subscribe wherever you're getting your podcast, whether that's uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Not only can you listen to us, uh, but you know, daily throughout the postseason, we have a playoff podcast as well. That you can check out, uh, you know, get the the latest on on what happened the previous night around the uh, the postseason. JJ Cooper and Kyle Glazer do do a, a great job. 
bringing that to you. So if you're interested in that, you can find that uh, in the Baseball America podcast feed as well. You can follow Joe and me on Twitter. I am at Ted Cahill. Joe is Joe Healy BA. And we will be back here with another edition of the Baseball America College podcast next week, just as we are every week throughout this long offseason. Uh, slowly approaching is the 2021 season, but we're, we're here to keep talking college baseball uh, throughout the, the offseason. And we appreciate you guys uh, joining us every week on that, on that, that journey. Uh, so I want to thank you guys for listening. Thank you to my bookie. Thank you to Rap Soto for presenting the Baseball America College podcast. And again, you can check out that Rap Soto National Player Database at rapsoto.com slash national database. I'm Teddy. He's Joe. We'll talk to you next week on the Baseball America College podcast. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.